We are continuing in Matthew 5, and it's uh, Jesus uh, speaking on the Sermon on the Mount, and it's chapter 5, starting at verse 17. It's page 969 of the Church Bibles. If, if anyone would like a Bible, if you put your hand up, the stewards are coming around. Okay, so... Uh, Chapter 5 of Matthew, verse 17, and it's Jesus speaking. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter nor the least stroke of a pen will be by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Morning, everyone. Why don't we pray before we uh, begin this morning? Father God, we thank you that we can be here gathered together this morning around your word. We pray, Lord, as we uh, now look at your word, that you would uh, help us to understand, that you would speak to our hearts, Lord, that you would challenge us, encourage us, and give us what we need today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, this morning we're continuing our sermon series in Matthew's Gospel. Jesus is on the mountainside speaking uh, to his disciples and all those who are interested in listening. Uh, Jesus has given what we call today the Sermon on the Mount or the Beatitudes. Uh, And this is the way in which believers are to live in relationship to God uh, by his power through the Holy Spirit. God has talked about how Christians should act in an unbelieving world as salt and light. We saw that last week in Matthew's sermon. And now Jesus is making a huge declaration about God's laws. In Matthew 5.17, he's also referring to himself for the first time in this gospel. Uh, And he does that in the first sentence, not only once, but twice. Have a look down at verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfil them. Well, what an extraordinary thing to say. We may have expected Jesus to say, I was sent from God. He could have said that, couldn't he? He said that in other places in the Gospels. But here he says, I, with authority and without arrogance and with an amazing purpose... Because Jesus has come to announce a new era to the people. Now, before we explore what this new era is all about, we need to clarify a few things. First of all, what is God's law? Now, you may be familiar in the Bible uh, with the Ten Commandments. And Emily, if I ask you to... uh, uh, Is there a slide before that? There you go. Pinch Nigel's slide. Uh, You may be familiar with the Ten Commandments. And we often think about the Ten Commandments as good advice, don't we? Don't murder, 
don't steal, don't lie, honour your mother and father, and the list goes on. But did you know that the Ten Commandments are actually just the first in a whole list of commandments that God gave to ancient Israel? In total, there were 613 of these commands, these revelations from God. And these are found in the first five books of the Bible, called the Torah, or in English, that's translated as the law. Now, if you were to read 613 of these commands, it might be easy to feel a little bit overwhelmed, a bit confused. How are we to keep these 613 laws? And what we find is, as we read through the Old Testament, that time after time in the story, God's people broke these laws, and they rebelled against God. And Moses, the leader of Israel, who you saw on a slide earlier, knew that the people would keep failing God. And therefore, in order to keep obeying God, they needed a heart transformation. A heart transformation if they were ever going to obey God and his laws. And in addition to the Torah, the first five books, there are another 15 books filled with prophecies, who reflected back on the past events and declared that if God's people were ever going to obey him, then he also needed to send his spirit to live inside his people. To transform hard hearts to soft hearts. Now, Emily, if I ask you to put the next slide... I look over there, but you're over there. Sorry, go up two. Sorry, up, sorry. There's my sermon, done. See you later. (laughs) Right, thank you very much. That diagram's really helpful. I find it helpful. There you see the law, which is the Torah, and then the prophets. So, Jesus has come to say he is going to fulfil the law and the prophets. Now, if we just take three of the prophets, for example, the prophet Ezekiel said that if the people would ever obey God, then his spirit had to dwell in his people. The prophet Jeremiah said that the law would be written on people's hearts so that they could obey And the prophet Isaiah said that a future leader would rise up to lead the people in obedience to the law. Together, the law and the prophets is actually the whole of the Old Testament. So Jesus is saying, I'll repeat that again, I have come to fulfil the whole of the Old Testament through me. I mean, that is staggering, isn't it? Here is a wonderful revelation. Back in Exodus, we had Moses standing on a mountain, giving the Ten Commandments to the people, the first time the law was given to the people. And here we have Jesus, also standing on a mountainside, coming to clarify what these laws mean. That is an amazing picture, uh, and it just blows my mind every time I think about that. But uh, let's see what uh, Jesus says. Uh, in Luke twenty-two forty-four, This is what I told you while I was with you, he says to his disciples. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. So the next question is, how can one man fulfill the whole of that? Is that possible? Well, Jesus says that all of the scriptures in the Old Testament, number one, bear witness to him. Two, they're all about him. Three, Their meaning would be unlocked by his death and his resurrection. And four, he accomplishes all that the law requires perfectly, without fault, and in perfect obedience to God. Well, the good news is we can sit here today and know that Jesus has fulfilled all of that. Now, let me suggest 
four ways in which the Old Testament law and prophecies have been fulfilled. Well, firstly, uh, Emily, you can do the next slide. There you go. Right. Just some uh, slides to help you think about this. In the Old Testament, when people sinned, it was up to the temple priest to make a uh, sacrifice for the people, a blood sacrifice. And in those days, if you look here at this picture, uh, they used to sacrifice animals, they used to sacrifice lambs uh, to cover over the people's sins. But the Bible says that this process was futile. Uh, uh, Making sacrifice over and over and over again could never cover the sins of everyone. And then along comes Jesus and declares that the blood sacrifices have ceased because he says about himself, I am the final sacrifice. I am the sacrifice once and for all. The shedding of my blood covers the sins of everyone. That's amazing. Secondly, the Jewish priests had to plead to God for the worshippers in each generation. The generation of priests came, they died, a new generation of priests took over. Jesus said, or sorry, when Jesus died on the cross and was raised to life, he was made perfect and he became our great high priest, the only priest we need between us and God. And he pleads for us even as we speak. Thirdly, the physical temple was the place people would go to do business with God. Well, Jesus is now the centre of our worship. Jesus' body became the temple where God's spirit lives. And for all believers, we are united to Jesus through his body. We receive his spirit. We're united to God. And so you don't need a physical temple anymore. And fourthly, Israel is no longer made up of one chosen nation. In the Old Testament, we read it was God's people, this one nation, who was to show every other nation in the world what obedience to God looks like. Uh, Well, Jesus declares that all people, tribes and nations are united in him if they believe. Everyone in the world united together under the name of Jesus. And you can think about the room we're sitting in now. We're all from different backgrounds, all different ages and stages of life. And yet we are all united, aren't we, under the name of Jesus. That is possible because of Jesus' death and resurrection. So Jesus demonstrated he was the fulfillment of the Old Testament in many ways. And if you want to look that up, there's about 300 verses that point to that. Now, what about the Pharisees and the law? Jesus encountered a problem. Again and again, we read in the New Testament that Jesus got into so much trouble with the Jewish teachers and the Pharisees. If you look at our passage at the bottom, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are mentioned, and I'll come to that a bit later on. But while following the 613 commandments would be hard enough, over time, the Jewish leaders began to add their own laws in addition to those. Why have 613 when you can have more? The original intent of these additions was to clarify the law. That's what they said. But it actually ended up adding more layers of complicated regulations. And because they were seen to be the strict, the religious people of the day, everyone looked to, help, everyone looked to them for help and advice. It gave them an inflated view of themselves. Imagine there was someone in this room and we always went to that person to ask advice, that one and only person. Imagine I kept asking Nigel, what do you think, Nigel? Should I do this? What do you think, Nigel? Well, sooner or later, Nigel's head might start to swell. Uh, And the Pharisees and teachers of law, they accused Jesus of breaking the law. But they were corrupt 
and Jesus knew it. They love people looking up to them, they loved attention, they loved praise for their outward appearance and actions. And Jesus used the strongest rebukes in the New Testament for these people. Uh, Matthew 23, great, thank you. Uh, these are Jesus' words in Matthew 23, 23 to 24. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, mint and dill and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy and faithfulness. You should have practised the latter without neglecting the former, you blind guides. So the Pharisees' job was to lead the people to teach them God's law, to teach them the 613 and how to live them out, but we've just seen that they added even more and they didn't know what they were talking about. And Jesus knows that. And Jesus tells them that God hates hypocrites. Those who outwardly pretend to be religious, but whose hearts are very far from God. Hypocrisy angers God because it misuses religion, taking advantage of its laws and its decrees for self-advancement. Hypocrisy is self-delusional. They deceive themselves, thinking that their deeds are evidence of true godliness. Look at me. I know God. Hypocrisy is pointless. You may earn praise today, but they'll receive only retribution at the judgment. The Pharisees and teachers accused Jesus of breaking the law and trying to destroy it, not realising that Jesus was God. Jesus was the author of the law. Jesus wrote the law. There's a helpful, uh, well, I think it's helpful, uh, quote from uh, Sinclair Ferguson, who's a Christian writer. The lawmaker became the law keeper but then took our place and condemnation as though he were the lawbreaker. Jesus didn't break the laws, Jesus wrote the laws, and he's come to fulfil them. He was the author. Now, if you look down at verses 18 to 19, it says, For truly I tell you, Jesus speaking, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, Anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. You see there that Jesus is saying that God's law is more real and lasting than the stars in the sky or the ground at our feet. Long after the earth wears out, God's laws and prophecies will be alive and will be at work until their final completion. I'm planning to drink, but I'm just thinking I'll take a pause. So, who can nullify God's laws? Who can alter them? Who can take away parts or add to them? Does anyone have authority to do that other than God? Who would dare to do that, actually? Who would mess with God's law? Well, sadly, the answer is the Pharisees and the Jewish teachers the hypocrites who misinterpret for their own gain. They love to be in control of the people. And that's a real heart issue, which I'll talk about in a little bit. So why would they do this? Why would they antagonize, uh, have antagonism towards Jesus? Well, Jesus refused to accept and give in to their hundreds of petty rules. You know, Jesus wrote the law. He's not going to uh, address the additions to the law. Uh, he knows that in a way they're violating his own law. Now, I don't know if you like musicals. You've probably seen what's coming up on the slides. Uh, Les Mis. 
I don't know, I'm not going to pronounce it. Someone in here can do that. Um, Les Mis is one of my favourite musicals. It's brilliant. If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. If you're not familiar with the story, let me uh, try to explain it. It's set in the French Revolution of 1832. Uh, the main character is a man called Jean Valjean, who has spent 19 years in prison because he stole a loaf of bread. He ends up on the run and being chased all across France by a police inspector called Javert. And we see Inspector Javert is totally loyal, but totally obsessed with the law. He cannot get past it, and his obsession with the law leads to misinterpretation and a lust for revenge and control. He must control Jean Valjean. He must track him down. Well, the tale is one of tragedy and hope. As Jean Valjean tries to show Javert that you can have love, mercy and forgiveness in your life. But Javert doesn't get it. And, I won't spoil it for you, you need to watch it. I can just say it's powerful and it's moving, so do check it out. Uh, it was even used, actually, in Christianity Explored to show what grace is. That's another spoiler alert, but I won't ruin it. But can you see the similarity to the Pharisees? They had zeal for God's law, and that is a good thing, but their hearts were proud and stubborn. They became obsessed with the letter of the law, looking for easy interpretations, trying to lower that spiritual bar. They loved to be in control of the people. And the problem with the Pharisees is they didn't even obey the law, but they boasted about how much they did keep the law. And we see this attitude in the world today, don't we? Uh, earlier in the week, I was chatting to Alan, uh, and we were trying to think of examples. I hope you don't mind, Alan, wherever you are. But uh, uh, examples of how we see this uh, in life. And before we go into that slide, uh, the Taliban in Afghanistan. Now, we've all seen what happened in Afghanistan over the last year. This tragedy of this brutal uh, government, Taliban, sweeping back into power and taking over. Now, the Taliban would say that they are very religious. They uphold God's law. Uh, but their interpretation is so extreme that it leads to violence and fear. They need to control the people, and they do that with violence. I wonder if the Taliban could honestly say to us that they submit to every law they have without breaking it. And what about the government? I don't like talking about politics, but uh, this is a good example. One rule for the government and one for everyone else. In lockdown, while we were all indoors, told to... Uh, keep away uh, to socially distance uh, party gate was going on I don't know what you think about that but I wonder how that makes you feel when someone gives you one rule and then does completely the opposite themselves God says that there is no way you can obey his law without a transformation of your heart it is impossible so the Pharisees rebuked Jesus for eating with sinners, not realising they were the worst sinners of all. And that God requires mercy of his people. The Pharisees love to be in control. They love to add to the law. And Jesus comes and turns their world completely upside down. So what about us? How does this apply to us today? It's the big question. Well, if you're anything like me, you love to be in control as well. 
You love to be in control of different parts of your life. We say that we trust in God, but kind of God comes second sometimes to what we want to do. Yesterday, uh, my wife Lorna said to me, uh, do you like surprises, Adam? You've got a big birthday coming up, 25. Uh, (laughs) Do you like surprises? And I thought to myself, no, (laughs) I don't like surprises. And the reason for that is because I want to be in control. I want to be in control of what's coming. The surprise is a nice thing, but I do like to be in control. And it made me think that's our heart, isn't it? There's something hardwired in us to seek praise and to seek after legalism. In each of us, there's a dangerous temptation towards hypocrisy. We can come to church and we can pretend to be one person, while behind closed doors we're completely another person in our minds and our hearts. We too could be tithing, as the Pharisees were, giving money to charities, whilst at the same time holding on to our hidden sins. And there are many within our churches across the world who are hypocrites, people who claim to be Christians, but who are in fact unbelievers, attempting to convince others, and maybe even themselves, that they're followers of Jesus Christ. Jesus demands complete transformation from us. Although we are weak, We are sinners, we are forgiven, and we come to Jesus with nothing. Jesus has made it possible for us to have a heart transplant by dying on the cross and being raised to life. We now have God's spirit living in us as true Christians. Because Jesus is the promised leader that was foretold in the past. He has made a way for all believers to be forgiven by God, to be loved by God to be blessed by God, even though we come to Jesus with nothing, poor in spirit. God's law still stands today, and it's wonderful. We often think the law is harsh, but actually it's wonderful because it's a light to the world. Without God laying out his standards of what he expects, I think we'd be plunged into chaos. Everyone turning their own way, denying God's existence and doing whatever we want to do to each other. The law convicts us of our sin, tells us of our desperate need every day to know that we need a saviour who can rescue us. We need a saviour. The law is like a mirror. I didn't put it on the board, I was just going to put it. Anyway, we look into the mirror and see our sinful selves reflected back up at us. The law is a good thing because it reveals to us God's character. God is full of justice, love and mercy. He loves to save us, to call us each by name. I want you to imagine that when you die, all of us will die one day, we stand at the gates of heaven and God says to us, why should I let you in? What would you plead? Would you start going through your life history and thinking of all the things you've achieved and say to God, look, this is what I did? Would we try to justify our actions? Or could we simply say, Because of Jesus. He paid the price by shedding his blood for me. Well, Jesus says in the second half of verse 19, those who are obedient, to those who, for those who are obedient, there will be rewards in heaven. Great is the reward for those who live by the law and teach others to obey it. The law is about heart transformation. Uh, Emily, I wonder if you could go back to the first slide that had the law and the prophets. Within the Law and the Prophets is a big story going all the way through about God transforming the heart of his people. 
And that is what God wants for us. Jesus offers us a new heart by the power of his spirit. So how can Jesus transform our lives today? In verse 20, Jesus says to his disciples that unless their righteousness exceeds those of the Pharisees and scribes, they will not enter the kingdom of God. Well, this would have been an enormous statement for the people listening to Jesus. Not even these self-righteous Pharisees and scribes qualified for heaven. Then how could anyone else get in? How is this possible? Well, firstly, by grace and through faith, we look to Jesus. I think Nigel said at the beginning, everything's about Jesus. That's right. Everything's about Jesus. The ultimate bottom line bedrock of our righteousness turns out not to be our own righteousness, but Jesus's righteousness. We can keep the entirety of the law by union with the living law itself. Jesus Christ is the living law. He is the true vine. We are the dependent branches on him. He is the true bread. We're hungry for strength to stand. And he is the true man. We are broken images being restored, moving towards Jesus to get transformation and restoration. So how does he transform our lives? I want to ask you a question. If this morning you're trapped in your habitual sins... What do you do? The answer is we look to Jesus. If you need forgiveness for things you've done in your life, in your past, things you're going through right now, we can come to Jesus in faith. And if we're looking for wisdom, for help, healing, or to be upheld, we can come to Jesus in faith and he has his arms waiting open for us. Jesus has no sin, no lack, no weaknesses. Not one comma or line of the law falls to the ground, but is upheld by and in Jesus. In Romans 3.31, Paul says, we now uphold the law by our faith in Jesus. And this is a promise uh, from God from Ezekiel. God says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues and be careful to obey obey all my rules. You see that transformation happening there. We don't do anything. God does everything. Jesus came to fulfill the whole of the Old Testament through his life, death and resurrection. We receive this perfect righteousness by his spirit and it produces a desire in our hearts to be holy, to use the gifts we've been given to love God and serve each other as a church. By his spirit, Jesus wants to radically transform your life today. So as I close now, why don't we just take a moment to reflect on any areas of our life where we need to submit and invite Jesus in and allow his spirit to transform our hearts, attitudes and our minds, to hand over control to Jesus. We don't need to be in control. We don't need to add any rules. We need to give everything of ourselves to Jesus. I'm just going to pause for a minute while we reflect. I'll pray and then I'll hand over to Sam. Sam.
Jesus said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Father God, we are so grateful for your word. We are so grateful for your law. Father, we need convicting. We need to turn to you in repentance each day. Father, thank you that we have a saviour. Thank you we have a saviour who understands us and knows the struggles we go through each day. And yet he still loves us, still cares for us, and he is leading us to an eternity with him. Father, we thank you, we praise you for the name of Jesus. In his name, amen.